There's good news and there's bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Well, most people, believe it or not, a recent study said that 78% of the people who are asked that question prefer to hear the bad news first. And the reason for that is because uh, when you hear the bad news first and it's followed by the good news, you tend to uh, feel better about the bad news once you know what the good news is. In fact, uh, of these 78% of the people uh, who were surveyed who, who said they wanted to hear the bad news first, uh, the same study found out that these same people were much more happy uh, and less worried when they were able to focus on the good news last rather than uh, the bad news that came first. Uh, so whatever the bad news is, we want good news later so that we can end on the highest possible note. Now, I don't know if Jesus intentionally tried to use this technique with his disciples in the upper room. He probably wasn't familiar with the study I just referenced. Uh, but... <laughs> He was a master of human psychology, so we don't know. Uh, but he did, I think, if we look at chapter 13 and chapter 14 together, there is a hint that he kind of used this technique because uh, in chapter 13, I mean, the, the disciples just get pounded with this bad news, right? It's one thing after another. Uh, he's going away. Uh, he would die. One of them is a traitor. Uh, and we're not even done with chapter 13. We have to talk about a couple more things that are going to happen uh, that Jesus talks about in chapter 13. So he's going to deliver more devastating news. Uh, and as we piece together not only what we know from John's gospel, but looking at the other gospels as well, uh, what happened in that upper room, Jesus is going to say uh, to Peter, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny me three times. And not only that, from Luke's gospel, we get uh, Jesus telling them that Satan is at work against every single one of them. He's looking uh, to, to cause all of them trouble and that uh, the disciples will all fall away this very night we get from Matthew, uh, from Matthew's gospel. So uh, if they were going to think about singling out Peter uh, for what uh, Jesus said about Peter, well, uh, they were all going to fall away that night. So this is a lot of bad news. How can there be anything good after all these things that uh, Jesus is telling them? Well, uh, John chapter 14 is probably one of the more well-known chapters in the Bible because of its message of comfort. And uh, we often hear it read at funerals and places uh, where, where people need comfort because it is such a, uh, a warm passage. Uh, but as uh, we're going to see over these next couple of weeks, uh, Jesus had to go away. It was necessary that he went away in order for them to receive the benefits uh, that God had planned for them. And if the disciples had hearts to understand these things, uh, they would be comforted and, and things would get better, although, of course, they were still not good. Uh, there was a, still a crucifixion that Jesus was going to have to undergo, and their hearts would be desperately grieved. So before we get to the comfort, let's talk about a couple more causes of their distress other than the ones we've already covered in chapter 13. And the first one is this, that, that Jesus was going to die. This is what he said in verses 31 to 35. Uh, Therefore, when he had left, that's Judas, uh, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am still with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I am also giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Well, you remember when we left off last week, Judas had just left the room and it was night, right? We remember that uh, Ju- Judas had, had gone and now it's Jesus and his 11 disciples. Uh, these are the 11 who believe, the true disciples, uh, even though they're as confused as can possibly be. Uh, as Judas left the room, they, they probably wondered, well, what, what just happened there? What, what was that exchange between Judas, Judas and Jesus? I didn't quite catch that. What, what was going on there? Where is Judas going? Uh, what did Jesus mean by the words he said uh, to him? Uh, but they didn't get an answer to that. But now Judas is gone. And so with him now out of the room, now Jesus can have a more intimate heart-to-heart uh, with his disciples, explaining the meaning of his coming death uh, in a sense. Uh, you know that the Old Testament says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. All right, that's a, an Old Testament uh, quotation. And, and the Jews, of course, believed that. Uh, but Jesus didn't, right? When, when, when he uh, went about this, uh, he took on the curse of mankind, the sin of mankind. But he used it as a tool for glorification, uh, for God's glory and for his own glory. Uh, he didn't see it as a curse because the way to give glory to God was uh, to go through the crucifixion that they had planned together. And the way to receive glory from God was to go through the crucifixion so that he could be resurrected and to be uh, the resurrection and the life for us. So Jesus would receive glory at his resurrection and his ascension, and God would glorify him there. So we see five times in verses 31 and 32 some form of the word glorify, and we see this mutual glorification of of Jesus glorifying God, God glorifying Jesus. Uh, This is what they do, the members of the Trinity. They glorify each other, and uh, God was going to give glory to Jesus, but first Jesus would have to glorify God by going to the cross. Now, the disciples, of course, would not have understood uh, all that Jesus was talking about here, this glorifying each other. Uh, but uh, he, he, he uh, said these things so that they would understand later, right? So that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when these things were written down, uh, they could understand and have a better sense of what uh, Jesus meant by these things. Uh, so they're still confused. And then to add to the tension, to add to the confusion, uh, Jesus reports that he's going away uh, yet again and that they would not be able to follow. Uh, And so, you know, these apostles had left everything to follow Jesus, right? They they had left their families, they had left their jobs, uh, they had left their homes, uh, they had had agreed to follow Jesus as their leader, and now he's going away? Well, Well, now what are they supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells them what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to love one another. Here is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So love one another is not a new commandment, right? We get that all the way back in Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus says, uh, or I'm sorry, Leviticus says, love one another as you love yourself. Uh, But what's new here, the new bit of information here is that you love as I have loved you. Now that's an entirely new standard. That's an incredibly high standard, uh, which they didn't even know the standard yet. They're about to find out what the standard was over the next uh, 12 to 16 hours or so uh, as Jesus went through the trials and then went through the crucifixion. Uh, So that's an entirely new standard. And and these disciples needed to know this new standard of love. And the standard is love them or love each other the way I have loved you. This is a love so great uh, that it would die, 
Jesus would die for his disciples and for the whole world. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we as, uh, you know, 21st century Christians, we might look back and give the disciples a fair amount of grief for the way they behaved on that last night. You know, they, they, they panicked, they fled, they abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. But, but in the decades to come, as the Holy Spirit came and, and illumined them and, and showed them uh, exactly what this love meant, these disciples got it eventually, right? And, and they did lay down their lives, and they did uh, love one another, and they, and they did glorify Jesus uh, through their own deaths. Uh, and so uh, it didn't happen right away for the disciples, but it did happen. Uh, so Jesus was going to die, and that was really bad news for these disciples, obviously. Uh, but then more bad news is what Jesus is about to say to Peter in verses 36 to 38. <clears throat> Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right away, right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Well, they couldn't follow him where he was going right now. But, you know, Peter, of course, was never one uh, to, to silence his questions. He wanted to know why. He wanted to know why he couldn't follow him right now. And Jesus, of course, gave a typically obscure answer. You can't follow me now, but you will follow later. And sometimes Jesus' answers raise a lot more questions than they answer, right? And I think that that's what happened with Peter. Uh, he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Now, I think Peter really did honestly believe that he would lay down his life for Jesus. I have no doubt that he thought that he would. And, you know, I wonder how we feel about that question. You know, when, when, when we think about our love for Jesus, would we lay down our lives for Jesus? Uh, we don't have to think about that a lot in our country because we are not subject to uh, persecution that leads to death um, in our country with any frequency, but in other countries, people have to think about that question every single day. Uh, would we lay down our lives for Jesus when the rubber meets the road? It's something that we ought to think about because we don't know uh, when that could happen. We're, we're, we're you know, unexpectedly, out of nowhere, uh, we have to answer that question, and would we really do it? Well, Peter would fail uh, in the short term, right? And, but he, and he would fail because uh, he really underestimated his own weakness, right? He went out and mingled among the Gentiles and thought that, uh, or among the Jews who were, who were uh, uh, looking to, to kill Jesus, and he thought he could mix with them and, and still maintain his level of uh, integrity. Uh, he couldn't do that. Uh, he underestimated his sense of self-preservation when the heat really got hot. Uh, he, he wasn't able to do it. Now, Jesus, over the next few hours, he's going to endure six trials from the highest levels of authority in Rome uh, and in uh, Judaism. Uh, Peter, when he's cross-examined by a slave girl, wilted, right? I mean, so that is the difference between what Jesus did and what Peter did. But still, I believe that Peter's heart was good. Uh, he loved Jesus. He couldn't imagine his life without Jesus. And I admire Peter for his outspoken desire to say, Lord, I am willing to die for you, uh, even though he failed uh, in the moment. Uh, so Jesus delivers this news to Peter. I mean, how would you like to hear that news, especially in front of your peers, right? These other uh, 11, the other, other 10 are in the room and they're hearing this, uh, this news that Peter, before uh, the uh, rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Well, obviously Peter was devastated by that. Uh, he was crushed by it and probably insulted by it that the Lord would think such a thing 
of Peter. Uh, if Peter wanted to hear the bad news first, well, he sure did hear the bad news first. This was really bad news. That would have been an incredible gut punch for him. Uh, and the disciples were reeling and had tons of questions that Jesus uh, didn't answer uh, in the moment. Uh, and after Jesus gives this bit of bad news, uh, then I think this is where he decides, you know, I need, to, I need to let up here a little bit. I need to go a little bit slower. I need to give these disciples of mine some comfort and some encouragement and give them some good news. And isn't that just like Jesus? You know, Jesus he's the one who's about to go to the cross, right? He's the one who's about to suffer unbearable torture and die uh, for the sins of mankind. And yet here he is thinking, I I need to comfort my disciples in their hour of need. And so that's what he does. So we've talked about the causes of their unrest. Uh, Peter would disown Jesus and Jesus would have to die. But now uh, some comfort. Uh, Verse one, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, you know, we might read through chapter 13 and chapter 13 ends and we put the bookmark in and we lay it back down and we come back later and pick up with chapter 14. We just need to remember that the chapter breaks are not original to the Bible, right? And, and Jesus didn't take a, you know, a 15-minute break here. Uh, chapter 14 immediately follows on the heels of chapter 13. Uh, no time passed between chapter 13 and chapter 14. Uh, Judas had left. Jesus talked of his coming death. Peter would deny him three times. And that was just a ton of information. It was already more than they could handle. And I just imagine Jesus, you know, looking around at his disciples, you know, reading the room and and saying, I I just need to inject some comfort here uh, for these guys. They they just can't handle uh, this horrible situation. So I imagine that Jesus probably gave a brief pause after allowing some of the things he had said uh, to sink in a little bit. And then he began uh, with these words of comfort in verse uh, 1. So this word troubled, do not let your heart be troubled, is the same word uh, that was used in John chapter 13 when when Jesus uh, was in the upper room and and his heart began to be stirred up, to be troubled within him. Uh, It's a word that means to be stirred up, to be agitated, to be in turmoil. Uh, It's real grief. Uh, And these disciples were feeling it too. They were feeling troubled, and Jesus is trying to calm them. Uh, So in the face of this upcoming calamity, uh, Jesus has to give them something. uh, And so his means of comfort is to say, believe in God, believe also in me. So these disciples had been raised believing in God, right? Uh, they, they, they knew God. They trusted God. Uh, they trusted the scriptures that promised a coming Messiah. In fact, they trusted Jesus when he said that he was the promised Messiah. And so they had forsaken everything to follow him, believing God and believing in him. But now everything was falling apart. This was not what we signed up for. We, we signed up for something else, Jesus. And now you're telling me that you're going to die and you're going to leave us alone like this? Uh, was everything we believed a lie or, or did we misunderstand? What's going on? They had no conception of what was going on. So Jesus reassures them. He says, believe in God. Believe in God and also believe in me. Which is interesting because Jesus is saying, look, I am just as worthy as your belief and trust as God is worthy of your belief and trust. So he wanted them to to trust God's divine plan and and God's divine sovereignty, even though they couldn't understand it in the moment. And God asks the same thing of us too, doesn't he? 
God asks the same thing of us, that same level of trust. We can't see the future. We don't know why God allows global pandemics and why he allows war in the Ukraine and all that's going to happen over there. And we don't know why he allows personal difficulties like a cancer diagnosis or loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. But God asks us in these moments when we can't understand, he wants us to trust him. Well, why should we? Why should we trust God, really? Uh, You know, when bad things happen, we can't see the end. We don't know how it's going to end or if it's going to end well. Uh, We don't know if he's going to bring us through it. Uh, And even if he does bring us through it, we don't know if if just because he brought us through this one, he'll bring us through the next one. Or, Or do we? Do we know these things? I think we do know these things because of the character of God even though we don't know how it's going to end, even though we don't know how a particular situation is going to resolve, we know that God is good all the time. And though we don't understand the specifics of his plan, we do know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So if we trust him, then we don't have to worry about how a particular situation is going to turn out. We just allow God to work out the circumstances, praying that he's just going to work according to his character. He's going to work out everything for good and trust him with the outcome. And that's why Jesus was asking them to trust God and also to trust me. You know, it's not recorded here, and I certainly can't prove it, but, but I would just imagine, uh, you know, maybe there is a word or two that was omitted from this upper room discourse. As John is thinking about this in retrospect, uh, just thinking about what happened in that room, I would just imagine Jesus going very, very slowly at this point with his disciples. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? And, you know, of course the answer is yes, but given the news that Jesus had just given them, maybe, you know, their trust was wavering a little bit. So they need to process this. They need to think, do I trust God? And I think when, when Jesus saw assent in their eyes, yeah, I do trust God. I do trust God. Then he said, well, do you trust me? And boy, uh, when he's telling them he's going to leave them and, and where he's going to go, they can't follow. Well, uh, do they trust him? And I imagine them just, you know, looking at each other. Do we? Do we trust God? And do we trust Jesus? Well, and then maybe they just looked at each other and said, yeah, uh, we just needed a little moment to process this thing. But yeah, we do trust you, Lord. And that's when Jesus said, okay, if you trust me and you trust God, I have some more good news to share with you. And then he goes on to verses two and three. So uh, here comes the beginning of some, some good news for them. There's room in my father's house for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms or dwelling places. If that were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you will also be. So finally, some good news, right? There were advantages to Jesus going away, even though his going away would be very painful. And the first was that he would be preparing a place for them. And so Jesus is talking about our heavenly home now, right? He's talking about uh, the place where we will live with him in heaven. Uh, Some of the old translations, including the King James, uh, say, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And you probably are familiar with that. There are songs about the mansions in the sky and things like that. Well, that's because the the word that is translated, uh, uh, the the Greek word that's translated is the word mone, uh, which means rooms or dwelling places. But when the Greek uh, Bible was translated into the Latin Vulgate, that word mone was translated into, into Latin as mansiones, 
And then the King James picked up on that and translated it mansions instead of rooms or dwelling places. So it's a bit of a mistranslation uh, because it, it focuses on the dwelling place rather than the quality of the company that we're going to enjoy when they're there, right? When we're there. It's not really so much, you know, I'm going to have this 5,000 foot, uh, you know, five bedroom, four bathroom house. It's that I'm going to spend my time with Jesus, right? So that is the good news of it. Uh, we'll be with Jesus and there's room for all who will believe. Uh, we all should also should not get the impression that Jesus is right now building mansions in the sky, right? This is the picture is not uh, Jesus in his carpenter overalls pounding nails into two by fours, right? That's not what is going on here when he talks about preparing a place for them. His work was completed when he went to the cross and died for our sins and in our place. So the room is already built. When Jesus died, the room was built and it is there and it's all ready for us. And all we have to do to check into that room is to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And when we pass from this world, we'll become permanent residents of that room that Jesus has already prepared for us now. So the news that Jesus was coming again, he's going to come for them, is a great source of comfort for these disciples. They would see him again, and that's really what they wanted, right? They, that's all they wanted to know. Jesus, will I see you again? Can I follow you? Why can't I come with you? They wanted to see him again. And so uh, this is some good news in the middle of the bad of the, that they had heard so far. So I can't really go through these verses and not talk something about the eschatology of these verses. Uh, so we'll just spend a second on this. Uh, for those who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church, uh, these are a couple of the verses that uh, would form the basis of that belief, along with 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. Of course, his disciples would have no conception of a pre-tribulational rapture of the church at this point, right? Uh, this is an eschatological debate between members of the household of God, uh, you and I, uh, who are uh, into debates, perhaps, about uh, particular nuances of eschatology. Uh, but what's at stake here, what the issue is, is, is the rapture of the church a separate incident from the second coming when Jesus comes again? Uh, and somebody who believes in a pre-tribulational rapture, as I do, think that there will be a rapture of the church where God, Jesus comes, meets the church in the air, and takes them back to heaven. Then there'll be a seven-year tribulation, and then Jesus will come again a second time. And that's the pre-tribulational rapture position. And the reason why uh, somebody who holds to that believes that is because this, uh, these verses here in particular uh, would uh, lay out some distinguishing features between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the church. And one of them is, is that uh, in a rapture, in the rapture, Jesus comes for his church and takes them back to heaven, which seems to be in view here in verses 2 and 3, rather than when Jesus comes to the earth, dwells on the earth, and establishes his thousand-year kingdom on the earth. Uh, so that's a distinguishing feature of the rapture versus the second coming. And also there's no mention of judgment on unbelievers here, which is another distinguishing characteristic of the second coming, uh, which we don't see here. So uh, I don't want to go too much deeper into it. I'm just going to leave it there for now, but I can't really pass these verses without talking about that. Uh, we could spend weeks doing a series on something like this, and uh, perhaps we will at some point. That might make some of us in our body happy, and so we'll, we'll do that at some point. Uh, but for now, what was important to the disciples was not a rapture versus second coming debate or a dwelling rooms versus mansions debate. The important thing to the disciples was we are going to see our Lord and Savior again. That's their entire focus. They just 
want to stay with Jesus. Uh, the hope of heaven is not uh, anything like mansions in the sky, streets of gold, pearly gates, even living with the angels. The hope of heaven is being with Jesus himself. And that's what the disciples wanted. They could take comfort in the fact in knowing that they would see him again. They could have some comfort in their tears because Jesus had prepared a place for them. And for us, the hope that we have as Christians is that Jesus could come again for his church at any moment. Like right now, he could come for his church. He could come before I finish this sermon, which many of you may be hoping for, even as I speak. <laughs> the next bit of good news after the fact that there is, good room, or there is room in the Father's house is that they know the way there. Verses 4 to 6. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus could say that they knew the way because he had been explaining the way for the past three plus years to them, right? Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, my teaching lives, leads to eternal life. If you believe in me, uh, wells will uh, bubble up in you like springing water. Uh, so the disciples knew the way. They just didn't know that they knew the way. Uh, and so Jesus needed to, to help them out here. So the disciples were still confused. And we would be too, in fairness to the disciples. And Thomas voices their concern. He says, uh, we don't know, Lord. We, we, I said Thomas, I think. I meant, yeah, I did say Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way that you are going. So how do we know the way? And so the, the term, my father's house, apparently didn't comfort him. He didn't understand the meaning of uh, my father's house. And so if we don't have a clear understanding, Jesus, of where you're going, how can we possibly know the way there, right? He's thinking on the physical plane, and Jesus is talking on the spiritual plane. Uh, so the apostles are thinking, well, wouldn't it be easier, Lord, if we just followed you right now? Then you wouldn't have to draw us a map or, you know, try and give us directions. Uh, we'll just follow you right now. Uh, but Jesus assured them that, that you do know the way. You can't come now, but you will come later. Uh, and you can come through me, but you can only come through me. There's only one way. So these terms, the way, the truth, and the life, uh, how do we understand these terms? What do they mean? Well, Jesus is the way because access is only available to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the way of reconciliation is, is the way of Jesus. Uh, the way of reconciliation between God and ourselves is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Through his sacrifice, we can have peace with God. <clears throat> so for that reason, he is the way. Jesus is the truth because uh, he is the revealed word of God and he is the physical image of the invisible God. And so when we look at Jesus, we look at God. Jesus reveals God to us so that when we see him, we are looking at God himself. And Jesus is the life because he regenerates us. Uh, he brings us from death into life. He who believes, John 5, 24, has, has passed from death into life. We were dead in our sins, Ephesians 2, but, he has, but now God has made us alive through Jesus Christ. It's called being born again, as, John, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And when we hear people say, uh, there are many ways to heaven, or all roads lead to God, uh, I think that's about the most insulting thing that we could ever say about Jesus or about God. 
If there was another way, why would God ask his beloved, most cherished son to suffer and die the most gruesome and humiliating death imaginable? And why would Jesus agree to do it? What kind of God would we serve if he said, yes, Jesus, I want you to go and do this uh, most horrible thing, most, most excruciating thing. Uh, and, and yet he still allowed people to come in through some side door or through some loophole. No, there is one way. Jesus is the exclusive way, the only way to God the Father. And the beauty of the gospel is that though it is exclusive in in how you get there, you can only come through Jesus Christ. It's inclusive in that God invites everyone to come. Everyone is invited to come. And we get there through belief. Belief that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And then you are among the included who believe this exclusive uh, gospel So the first piece of good news is that Jesus has prepared a place for them. The second bit of good news is that they know how to get there. And a third bit of good news is that anyone who has already seen Jesus has seen God the Father. Verses 7 through 11, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for such a long time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So this beginning here, this verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. This is one of those Greek conditional clauses where the, for the sake of argument, uh, the statement is presumed to be true. So it's more like, since you know me, you know the father, uh, which is a whole lot more, uh, more appealing of a statement than what seems to be a rebuke. Uh, I think the, the way that Jesus meant this is, is the if could be translated as since. So since you know me, you know the Father. It's not a statement of rebuke, but a statement of assurance uh, that they do know the Father because they know Jesus, and he is the Messiah that he claimed to be. Now, that's a very strong claim, right, to oneness with the Father and unity with the Father. Uh, To know Jesus is to know God, Jesus says. Now, who would dare say that, right, unless you're a madman? uh, Who would say that unless you truly were the Son of God? Only Jesus would make such a claim. Now, the disciples at this point are suffering from information overload, right? Their their circuits were about to blow. They couldn't handle any more. They couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. So Philip asked uh, asked him to show him the Father. And if Jesus were like us, he would probably eye roll, right? And he would be like, can these guys understand anything? But but Jesus is not like us, thankfully. He's so patient. Uh, And he answers the question by just doubling down on his claim of unity and oneness with God the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And then Jesus cites three specific pieces of proof, pieces of evidence uh, to help them. And the evidence is in the person of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the works of Jesus. So the person of Jesus, Jesus claimed equality with God. Uh, He says, I'm of the same divine essence. I'm of the same stuff as God. 
Uh, I am in God. God is in me. And that's very strong language to communicate uh, that God is, uh, that Jesus is God incarnate uh, in a human body. So verse 10, uh, the the person of Jesus, and then uh, also the words of Jesus. Being uh, God, Jesus said exactly what God would say. And then verse 11, the works of Jesus. Jesus does the very things that we would expect God to do. So believe in me because of who I am, because of the things I say, and because of the works I do. This is the evidence that Jesus gives to his apostles. Now, of course, it would take centuries for the Christian church to understand the implications of what Jesus was saying, right? This is difficult stuff. Jesus is God. Yet the Father is God, and remember, uh, they have their theology, the, the Jews do, that say God is one. So you know, how, do we, how do we process all this stuff? Uh, God is God, but Jesus is God. They're the same, yet they're different. Uh, they're of the same divine essence, and yet they're different persons within the Trinity. Uh, all this stuff took a long time to work out. So of course the, po- the apostles couldn't understand this. Uh, here we are 2,000 years later, and we still can't wrap our minds around this, right? So we, we shouldn't give the apostles apostles' grief for not understanding what Jesus was saying. Uh, I think that stuff was given for their benefit later, you know, when the scriptures were written and the Holy Spirit came uh, to help teach them. But in the moment, Jesus meant to reassure his disciples that in their moment of grief, they had not misplaced their hope. Uh, They just couldn't wrap their minds around all that this meant yet. And so belief and trust in the face of confusion and despair is the essence of what faith is, right? So none of us can fully understand God's purposes or his plans or how he's going to work out his purposes. But in faith, we trust that God's plan is best, even though we don't understand uh, how he goes about achieving his purposes. So in the midst of all this calamity, Jesus gave uh, his disciples good news that applies to us just as much as it applies to them. The good news is that Jesus has prepared a place for us, that they know the way, and that anyone has seen Jesus has also seen the Father because Jesus and God are of the same divine essence. And there's more good news, but I just don't have time for it this week. So we're going to hold it for next week, and this week we're going to close with some applications. So a few things I want us to see. It's okay for us to ask questions. When I was in seminary, uh, my intro to theology professor said uh, that that theology is, the definition of theology is faith-seeking understanding, right? Three simple words, faith-seeking understanding. Well, you can imagine the disciples sitting there with their mouths agape, right, listening to Jesus, uh, trying to wrap their minds around this, uh, trying to uh, pepper him with questions so that they could understand what the meaning of these things were. They had faith, but they were seeking understanding. And Jesus understands that you and I have limited knowledge too, right? But if we ask in faith uh, and we, we sincerely are seeking answers to our questions, it shows that we're wholeheartedly seeking him. So, so bring him your hard questions. Jesus will not be offended by your hard questions. He loves when we try to faint, strengthen our faith with wisdom and understanding. And like the man said in chapter 9 of Mark, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, right? So it's okay to ask questions. Second, weeping lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. 
You all probably recognize that. That's Psalm 30, verse 5. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It means that our times of sorrow will not last forever. There's always hope uh, in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. Uh, The apostles were about to experience the worst possible loss imaginable to them. Uh, But they had no idea what was coming, right? And in three days, even though Jesus had said to them what was going to happen, they didn't get it. Uh, Three days later, he would be gloriously raised and their joy would be complete. They just needed to wait on the Lord. And we do too, right? You and I, we need to wait on the Lord. Uh, We don't understand what's going on sometimes. We don't understand how something's going to end. Or or when we're going through something, we don't know how long it's going to last. But we need to remember that it only took one second for Jesus' heart to start beating again, right? Jesus can, uh, God can turn around circumstances in a heartbeat. He turned around, he woke Jesus, and, and, and in a heartbeat, Jesus lived again. He was raised from the dead, and so he can turn our circumstances around in a heartbeat too. So weeping lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And finally, we can know God the Father today through Jesus Christ. I don't fault these disciples at all, right, for wanting to see the Father. Uh, I think deep in the heart of every person is a desire to know God and to see God face to face. Moses said, God, show me your glory. Uh, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. Uh, So God understands that and he revealed himself to the world in Jesus Christ. And what we need to remember is that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to know the Father, right? We know him because we know Jesus. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So when we know Jesus and we trust in him for salvation, we not only know Jesus, but we know God the Father too, and we have eternal life. That's some real good news, right? That's some real good news. So uh, when we have heard bad news, and there's bad news all around, right? We have COVID, we have North Korea, we have Christian persecution, we have the Ukraine, we have China, we have Russia, we have abortion, we have immigration, and we have inflation. We got all kinds of bad news going on, but, but it always needs to be followed by the good news. We need to remind ourselves of the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if we remember that, well, the bad news won't have any effect on us because we know the good news that's coming. And this is the hope that we have this Easter season. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your son. Lord, we don't understand what's going on in the world. And uh, we can tend to be just like the apostles who, who sat in confusion, Lord, and, and didn't understand. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that Jesus asked them to trust him. And it's the same question he asks us, Lord. And I hope we give the same answer uh, that we would like to give, Lord, which is, yes, Lord, we do trust you. And we just pray that you will work this out for your good uh, and in your timing, Lord. So for the troubles that we're having in the world, Lord, we just trust you with your sovereignty over them, Lord. And we pray that you work them out in the best way possible. And, And while we wait, Lord, we just thank you for your glorious son. And we praise you in his precious name. Amen.